Welcome to this episode of EJ Sports Debates. What if I told you ESPN made 30 for 30s? This episode, we're going to break down a few of our favorites, as well as some that we feel might be a little overrated and underrated, and some we might want to see in the future. Jordan? Hey, guys. What if I told you I was going to upset Eric with my very first choice? <laughs> right. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's, uh, let's get this. Uh, let's get this going. Uh, Jordan, do you have? Uh, I know you, we have two of each of these. So, uh, what is your first most overrated thirty for thirty? All right, Eric. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to give a reason for this. My number one most overrated is the Fab Five. Okay. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. The only thing I learned from that that I didn't know was that they called Grant Hill. This is their words, not mine, and Uncle Tom. The only thing I got excitement out of was this shock factor because that was on ESPN the next day. That's all they ever talked about was, well, they called Grant Hill and Uncle Tom. I already knew Chris Weber was an egomaniac and was selfish. I already knew Jalen Rose was like, you know, a loudmouth talker, and that Juwan Howard was probably the most common normal, quote unquote, of the group. Um, but yeah, I, honest to God, people talk about that like it's God's gift, man. And I just, I'm sorry. I just, I, and I didn't do that to be like shock value. I just thought about what one people talk about most, and I think it's overrated. And I'm going to go with the Fab Five as the most overrated ESPN 30 for 30. Wow. Um, Dots fired. (laughs) That was, uh, that's good. Um, I could see that point of view, um, because of that, but the phrasing of that Jalen Rose made in that was probably a little over the top. But what he said, what he followed up with was Duke never really did go and recruited into the inner cities, (laughs) um, like he, like he stated in the fab five 30 for 30 so there was some statement definitely, there but it definitely has nothing to do with the fact that michigan beat unc at some point in that it definitely has nothing to do with that as well <laughs> all right no that's well um and then my number two i might as well go ahead and just do both of my overrated um again this is another kind of controversial one was catching hell the one about steve bartman uh, it was great because it like allowed us to like relive it. But if you're gonna do a documentary about Steve Bartman, I really wanted to see Steve Bartman and hear from him. And Steve Bartman refused to do it. And that was supposed to be like the climax of the Thirty for Thirty was they were so they were gonna have this talk with Steve Bartman, and all we got was the director seeing Steve Bartman in the parking lot of his job, wherever he lives and works at, and telling him he respectfully declined. Um, I know the whole Bartman thing smoothed over um, once the Cubs won the World Series, but again, great documentaries. None of these are bad, by the way. Um, it's just when you tell people about 30 for 30, they talk about the top ones, and I feel like I hear Catching Hell or the Steve Bartman one a lot. And I just, yeah, overrated. Wow. Yeah, no, that's. Uh... Hot takes. That's the yeah, two very hot takes on that one. And uh just uh yeah, I mean I would have loved to finally hear Bartman's uh Bartman's view of it, but 
think the to their credit, he still has not come out and publicly made a statement. So it's not like he just stonewalled them. I just kind of wish, you know, like they waited until the Red Sox won the World Series and then they brought back Bucky Dent and they had this whole ceremony. Rest in peace. So, um, you know, I just, I, I kind of wish, or Buckner, I said Bucky Dent. Yes. Listen to me. Bill, anyway, Bill sorry, Eric, go ahead. Hit me with your two most overrated. I can't wait to hear these. So I think I'm going way back with this one, with my first overrated. The very first one they did, the U. I ooh. The I think there's as storied as the U is as controversial as the things that have happened there and the players they've had. I just think there could have been other schools chosen for that um, with the history and impact of college athletics that the U doesn't have. But obviously everything, and then they did it a second part, which I feel did not need to happen. So I feel that added more to the, my pick of the overrated side because they did two parts instead of just one. So I kind of agree with you, but I'm also going to disagree a little bit. I think the first one needed to happen because I think that was really the U team that like started it. But I, so I'll disagree with you. I think the U part one should have happened. I just, I didn't need to see the U in the nineties as well. Like I was cool with them stopping with like Michael Irvin and Warren Zapp. I didn't need to go into the Willis McGahee um, and Andre Johnson version of Miami. You know, I could have done without that. But, yeah, man, I mean, the U, I think, was pivotal. I think without that one being so controversial, I don't even know if it was that controversial. Um, I, th- I think, though, that one. I was, man, just saying, I was just saying the U in general has had their share of controversies and that all came out um in 2011 to to use a nerd reference i kind of compare that one to the first x-men movie like is it a great movie it's a good movie but people overrate it but it's also necessary because it was like the first one so anybody that's a crossover nerd slash sports fan like us that's kind of where i put it in my mind is the the you not as good as people say it is so i completely agree but it's also extremely essential. All right. No, okay. I can definitely see that. And my second is, it's more recent, actually very recent. It just came out this year is the Oscar Pistorius one. I mean, (laughs) when that came out that he was, went nuts essentially. (laughs) And, shot through the bathroom door killing his girlfriend I mean, that obviously shocked the world and what he did to as a para as a para athlete to compete in the olympics not the paralympics the actual olympics was phenomenal and then it all of a sudden came crashing down so do i think a story like that should be told yes but a whole 30 for 30 on it no i think they probably could have done just a general documentary, not 30 for 30. Sort of like what happened with Aaron Hernandez. 
Yeah, I'll be lying. 30 for 30, actually, not Oscar Pistorius. I'll be lying. I don't know if I saw the Oscar Pistorius one. I just don't want to give that guy any shine. So, and that I don't think that's the other thing. I don't think he's, yeah, I don't think he's a good person from what I can tell. I don't know him personally, obviously, but I just think he's kind of a garbage person. So, yeah, forget that guy. (laughs) No, I would agree with you on that. Uh, So, that's our overrated. So, as far as uh, as far as underrated, what do you have? Um, all right, being a nerd of this, that I know I'm going to be the only person on, but the one on the Nature Boy that came out, Ric Flair, I think it was last year. I actually legitimately cried at that, and I don't. I mean, it, it was really popular when it came out, but I don't know if it's put in like that top tier. But man, to see how dedicated he was to that sport, or whatever you want to call professional wrestling. And it, it kind of almost felt like a eulogy for him, which I actually have, I think, one or two other ones on uh, some coming up list. I also kind of had that same vibe. But, um, yeah, the Nature Boy, man, that one that, that, that one was a kick in the groin just for making me cry and pulling my heartstrings and seeing the sacrifice and the, the thing with his son um, re-dying. I knew about that. I didn't really understand the impact. Um, and then the other one is Brian and the Boz, I think, is very underrated. <laughs> Um, for almost the opposite reason of Ric Flair, but also the same, because Brian Bosworth is actually a pretty decent guy from what I can tell. I mean, he's certifiably crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I really appreciated the whole story of him. Like, basically, it was basically him telling the story to his kid. And it was like a learning example of like what not to do and what to do and being a parent and like you want to be a parent someday. I think we all would love that opportunity to like go through like a box of old stuff and show our kids all of our mistakes. And I wish I had the fame he had, but I also don't wish I had the mistakes he had. So that's why too is the nature boy and Brian and the boss underrated. If you haven't watched them, what are you doing? I don't care if you're a wrestling fan, go watch the nature boy one. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, that's a, that's a, those are two very, uh, very good, very good picks. Uh, the Nature Boy was a fantastic, fantastic documentary. Thirty for Thirty really shows you a whole new side of Ric Flair. Um, the I mean, jet setting, yeah, he was limo riding. <laughs> I mean, he's you know, as he would always do that, um, get so fired up and. Oh, and just the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss dealing, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun. Wow. Uh, that's you, Charlotte T, and you knowing that. I'm, I don't know if I'm honestly, impressed or proud honestly, or both. Honestly, I just looked that up. Um, I'm, I, not, I'm not even going to debate you on that one. You win this one, <laughs> hands down, just for that. Uh, but, All right, give, give me your two most underrated. So, Sort of go, staying in the Charlotte area in a way. Tim Richmond was a hell of a race car driver. <laughs> and that 30 for 30 showed arguably, I think, one of the biggest what ifs with NASCAR. And he brought a little, he sort of had that swagger that, and then he sort of had that swagger that some drivers have now. And it's just a whole different side of a NASCAR driver that 
goes beyond the stereotypes. He had all the fame, the talent, and unfortunately got HIV AIDS and passed away from that. But SPM 30 for 30s. Yeah, that was, was a uh, he was controversial topic. He was so talented and I think could have been one of the best of all time. Yeah, he, um, I, I don't remember ever seeing a raise because I was too young when he was yes. around and famous. But yeah, watching that 30 for 30, I don't think anybody, I don't think people that are around, like that were born, even really at our age, don't fully understand their significance. But, you know, HIV, I think they did, they did one on magic too. And it's the same conversation. Yep. I think of three people, you know, or at least two. I think of Freddie Mercury and Magic Johnson as two prominent people that got HIV. And, uh, yeah, that's a great choice, dude. Yeah, and then my second one goes uh, sort of behind the scene. I think it's the sort of uh, I love for the show, like Entourage, Jerry Maguire, the movie, The Dotted Line, uh, the the one about the, the agents and the players. Like the stuff that these yeah, agents, yeah, I know exactly. The stuff that these agents do is <laughs> it's nuts. Like getting that real behind the scenes, in depth look of what they do and how they what they do for their clients. It's it was unreal. Exactly what you're talking about. Well, and as a kid, it's easy to say I want to be a sports agent, but there's two things that people don't realize. I know that's why you and I both went to school. Oh, and for the things we went to school for. Arliss was a big thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Arliss, man. I was taking it back. It was not trash before. But uh, yeah, dude, I need to watch that dotted line one. It's been a while. I need to, I need to plug in the ESPN plus and watch that one and check it out. Yeah. That was probably one of my favorites as well, but just very, underrated because no one knows what happens behind the scenes and I think one of the players was it Mark Herslick didn't he win the Boston College player that played for the Giants I think won a Super Bowl with that uh, he had he had cancer and beat it I think so I think that's what I'm thinking of yeah that's Herslick that had cancer yeah yeah Yep, that's him. Was figured in that, and you're seeing all that stuff going on. It was, <laughs> it was a well done one. Yeah, I need to, I need to check that one out. That's that's getting added to my revisit list. Yeah, but all right. All right so, uh, what's next? Honorable mentions. Yep, we have our honorable mentions. Uh, a few of these. All right. So, as you know, to get my list down to five was crazy because i went through and had 19 (laughs) and paired them down so i have three just quick ones i'm not going to elaborate on them but um number one is rand university with randy moss and that story absolutely just wow um small potatoes the story of the usfl which i'm not going to really mention this person's name but the name of that title came from a certain guy that just left our Oval Office, but the story of him starting the USFL and basically ruining the USFL, um, you know, that was pretty crazy to me. And then the 85 Bears one, um, just seeing that team and 
Ditka still being Ditka at the age he is was just awesome. I could listen to that guy tell stories all day long. Yeah, that's a so loaded, but, loaded team. Riverboat Ron was on it. You know, like single fridge, team. the fridge, William the Fridge Perry, sweetness, Walter Payton, sweetness, man. And that one, that documentary really portrayed him as like the only, I think, really good person from that team because I mean, they all were nutty. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a reason why it's the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. And any team with Steve Mongo McMichael on it is nuts. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But those are, my, those are my honorable mentions. They, I just, the five I had, I couldn't put anything else in. Though the 85 Bears and my number five could kind of swap out, I guess. But um, yeah, man, th- those are my honorable mentions for sure. Those are great. Yes. Yes. No, the ones I have, who, um, my third honorable mention is the two Escobars was well done yet. The yeah. Pablo Escobar, the Coke King, <laughs> um, even though it's not a, the drink kids, <laughs> yeah. he, uh, there's a lot of, it's never been proven, but was the, there's the whole rumors could have happened in Medellin, Colombia where uh, one of the Colombian soccer players from the 94 World Cup, I believe it was, scored an own goal. And it was against the United States. It was Andres Escobar. And I don't... And when he... uh, When they came back, he was out with friends and Shots were fired, and there's the whole rumors that Pablo Escobar was behind that hit, and two Escobars digs into that whole side, and very, very well done. Another one I have is Without Bias, the story of Len Bias, Maryland basketball player, drafted by the Celtics, and dying before, and had an undiagnosed condition, and ended up passing away before he could ever play in the NBA. That pulls on your heartstrings as well and that's what wow. these, that's what these 30 for 30s do sometimes and my honorable mention is the one that you say is one of the is an overrated one is the fab five which does have no pun intended after this one some bias <laughs> um wow just because i read i mean i grew up in that area obviously i was too young to fully remember the fab five but I've read the book Mitch Album wrote. It's a fantastic book for those that haven't read it. Check it out. But it showed a really different. It showed one to more in depth of things that I don't remember of that team and how they came about. And just these five freshmen that, as Juwan Howard said, shocked the world. And they, be, they really set the table for the current generation of college basketball. So I think based off the impact they had, that's why it's an honorable mention to me. See, the follow-up to that one is the one on John Capri where they talk about how he ruins college basketball, but I won't go into that. <laughs> that's a story for another Take that. Time. Take that, Coach. All right, so we've reached the point. We've, we have it, our top five. We're going to do this one. We're going to name a five. 
We're going to go down five, four, three, two, one, and we're going to alternate each one. All right, I'm going to kick us off. Yep. All right, so my number five is the Four Falls of Buffalo. Ooh. Which I think is the most recent one on my list. I'm like 99% sure it is. And that one, it comes down to Marv Levy on that one and Jim Kelly. Oh, Marv Levy. Um, and, yeah. And Jim Kelly, especially. You know, I mean, mind you, my very shameful right now, Dallas Cowboys. There was a time, kids, back when the Dallas Cowboys were actually a good football team with actual talent and they knew how to win on the field. And they, uh, sorry, still trying to milk the Dak Prescott injury. And, um, but yeah, man, that one, it, it had everything in it. it. It was like the ultimate heartbreak. And what I really loved about it was Bruce Smith. Um, and oh, who was he sitting with? It was Bruce Smith and somebody else from that team, um, sitting back and watching like the video of the Super Bowls and commenting on it. And yeah. Um, four falls of Buffalo. It's kind of long. That's one thing I would say against it is yes. they really go into like depth. They could have broken that one up into two. Um, but everything from Jim Kelly coming from the USFL, you know, to play for Buffalo after he didn't want to be. Uh, Thurman Thomas, one of the most underrated running backs in history, also shares a birthday with me. Shout out Thurman Thomas, May 16th. And, um, yeah, and Bruce Smith, I think, is one of the most underrated defensive players of all time. I mean, I know he's in the Hall of Fame, so he's not that underrated. But yeah, I think when people, I think when people mention like top pass rushers, that it's like LT and Reggie White, and I think Bruce Smith deserves to be in that discussion. But um, yeah, my number five, Four Falls of Buffalo, bam. All right, no, that's a, uh, that's great. Uh, that was a very good one, and. What I liked about that one is how classy the Bills fans were when they came back after the Norwood miss. I think a lot of fan bases would have been livid at their kicker for her. Uh, they were around nowadays. They would just break a bunch of tables. So Right. But they handled that with dignity with Scott Norwood. Um, I don't know if – I'm a Lions fan, so – this is that's not going to happen. Um, Take notes, Bears fans. Cody Parkey is not your enemy. Yes, exactly. Um, my number five. Again, a little biased, but just it was overall well done, and a lot of people agree with it. Is the Bad Boys, the Bad Boys Pistons? <laughs> they Isaiah Thomas came to the team. They were. They couldn't draw, and they couldn't draw anyone. They were awful, and Isaiah sort of led that charge, that brought that competitive nature to Detroit, and then they just built from there. They built around Isaiah, and you're seeing how they did it, what it took to, and that's why I'm not an NBA guy. I never really have been. I love when the Pistons are good. You're a Knicks fan, so sorry. Um, wow. You really had to. You really had to throw that, didn't you? Yep, I did. You couldn't. You couldn't, you couldn't just ride the high of having the great Pistons team. No, you had to. Yes. Do in the next shot. Appreciate yep. that, but no problem, jerk. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and then how they grew from irrelevancy to probably one of the most underappreciated dynasties 
because it went from the the eighties were dominated by the Celtics and Lakers and in the eighties, and then everyone talks about the Bulls. But in between that was the Pistons, and should have won. They should have repeated. That was a horrible. They showed that play in the in the thirty for thirty where. Abdul Jabbar goes up, Lambeer's hands are up, and they call a foul, even though there was no contact. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it goes there, and they had they interview, they go into the Jordan rules, and sort of start to see that hatred that still is there today between Isaiah and MJ. Oh, he's so salty at MJ. He just came out, I think, yesterday. Yesterday, <laughs> and made, and made uh, comments I, about MJ still. I love. Uh, I love Zeke, but he just needs to be quiet. <laughs> Do you know what the Pistons – you know what that team reminded me of? I'm going to use the terminology I used, I think, in every episode we had, especially Isaiah Thomas. Do you know what he is? He's a Przinsky <laughs> because he, yes. he's a kind of guy where he was the hardest player on the court, and if he was on your team, you want him on your team. But, man, when he – opens his mouth off the court and when he's against your team, I could see why everybody wanted to stuff him in a locker. Like <laughs> well, I mean, but all time great player though. I mean yes. nobody can ever deny his talent and his want to win. And if you if you want me to be a really kind of hot take, my I actually almost prefer the Pistons from the early two thousands. Just because I think they, they they had that edge, but they were a little more classy. Except for Rashid Wallace. Um, yes. Sorry, Rashid. Yeah. <laughs> Sheed would have fit in great with Rodman. I would have loved to see them as teammates. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's what, I mean, that whole, as you say, as we've sort of dubbed in this podcast, Prasinski's, you could argue the entire Pistons teams were Prasinski's. Yeah, they because, were. Bill Lambier. Because outside, a lot of people. outside of Detroit, everybody hated them. And the Pistons knew it. And they would do what it take. They would do what it took on the court to to win. Hey man, I can't knock that. Yes. All right. So my number number four. Number four. Uh, um, you want to go? You want me to go? Yeah. Okay. Number four, one that you also put on your overrated. Oof. Is catching hell. Just because, yeah, you know, I thought. Yeah, I do agree that Bartman should have done it, but also agree he made the right call. <laughs> um, but what I loved about it was how it really showed that ball was not catchable. And Moises Salou finally admitted it was not catchable. <laughs> and in the heat of the moment, he was pissed, I and rightfully so. But it just showed the passion and wanting to win and how it spiraled out, but also showed how big of a scapegoat they used Bartman. (laughs) Not, not Alex Gonzalez who botched the double play, not Dusty Baker for going out for not going out to calm Mark Pryor down and just things like that. So, um, sorry, I had a sneeze real quick. I want to make sure my mic is muted. Nice. Um, not the Rona. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah, man. I was so glad that it was on the World Series because I think if they had, they would still be crying about Bartman and the Billy Goat. Yes. But yeah. And we didn't plan this. I swear. Now, now that I, I've kind of given you my most overrated list, now it makes it even better. So <laughs> it wasn't planned. I would throw your number five and number four yes. into my uh, overrated com. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, no, none of this was planned. None of us knew the list. Okay. What do right, you, well, you have? My, my number four is, and this was number one on my list. So there was some reshuffling at the top four. Oh. Um, four falls of Buffalo and 85 Bears was like five and six. But my number four is Elway to Marino. Okay. Um, just because I, I can't stand – oh, I can't remember the, the agent's name. His voice has kind of like a weird tone to it, and it kind of drives me crazy listening to it. But the in-depth of the fact that this man took notes on every conversation he had with Jim Irsay Sr., um, they got uh, um, the GM, they got Elway, they got all of the interviews, and then to go down the list and see how passed over Dan Marino was. <laughs> um, to me, it was just it was really compelling watching it for the first time, and even when I watch it again now, I still know Marino's going to drop him draft, and I still break my heart for him that Todd Blackledge got drafted ahead of him. So... Um, but yeah, just the in depth of the, the NFL draft. I mean, I, you and I are both marks for the NFL draft. Yes, we do. And, love, um, we do love it. Yeah, I, I think if you're a football fan, you have to love the NFL draft and to see that entire process broken down from Elway really creating the table of, of the big brain play to not go play for a team to Chris Hinton getting drafted. Um, you know, it had, uh, the defensive tackle that played for the Steelers that was like really, really good and only had like two seasons because he was crazy. Um, yeah, I just, I really, I could rewatch that one every day and like it, it's just, I had to think about like what was like compelling and what shook me. Right. And then one just missed my top three. All right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a great one. I mean, you had six quarterbacks taken in that year and this is, Notes I'm pulling up as as you're talking. Eight Hall of Famers came out of that class in '83. Eric Dickerson, Jim Kelly, John Elway, Dan Marino, Bruce Matthews, Daryl Green, Richard Dent, and Jimbo Covert. So, very, very arguably the best draft first round of all time. Arguably, yes. And six QBs went in the first round. Um, the last of which being Dan Marino. Poor Dan. But hey, he didn't go play for the Jets, so that was a positive. Yes. And yeah, I was in Elway, as you said, sort of set that whole thing like if an if a player thinks that organization's dysfunctional or whatever, fight for the trade. And he did that and he threatened to go up. I think he threatened to play baseball instead. For the Yankees. He was a he was a outfielder player. He was an outfielder for the Yankees. They drafted him. Yes. He went to spring training with the Yankees. Or he was going to go to spring training for the Yankees. So uh, you mark my words, Trevor Lawrence is going to pull a Marino this year or an Elway this year. There's no way he's going to play for the Jets. Or Eli. Yeah. Eli Manning did that famously in 2004, which was also a great quarterback class. Even though I think two of them are going to the Hall of Fame and not Eli Manning. Oh, poor Eli. <laughs> But as a 
as a... Alrighty, so what's your number? You what's your number? What are we on now? Three. Three. Number three. Three. June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. What a day that was! <laughs> um, June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four was a crazy day in sports. The World Cup was being launched at the at Soldier Field in Chicago. You had game five of the NBA finals, which actually your Knicks were in. So I'm sort of, so the Knicks were good folks at one point. Remember that. Just um, not quite Michael Jordan good. Yes. Um, we're in the finals against the Rockets, uh, which was also a very loaded team. Um, the it really the, depressed the, me, man. The Rangers celebrated their cup with the parade that day after winning. And there you go. The most famous of the, but none of that, all that pales in comparison to what happened in Beverly Hills, Brentwood, when Al Cowling drives the white Bronco down the highway in the world's fat, slowest high speed chase ever with OJ Simpson in it. <laughs> that, that chase is probably one of the, earliest TV memories I think I have. <laughs> that was like the best advertisement for Ford Broncos they could have ever had. <laughs> yes, this is not sponsored by Ford unless they want us to. Yeah, please. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, the O.J. Simpson chase. They cut coverage from the NBA Finals, the opening of the World Cup to a helicopter to a helicopter following a white Bronco being chased by a bunch of police with OJ Simpson in there, because that was the day they announced OJ Simpson was a suspect in the murder of Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson. Cause he allegedly didn't kill allegedly didn't kill. And then wrote the book. If I did it, this would be how I did it, which was exactly how it happened. <laughs> hey man, if OJ hadn't done that, the Kardashian empire would have never been what it was. I just so. touch on that. I'm going to blame the bills for this one because yeah. It, well, uh, yeah. I bills, know where you're going with it. If the bills won one more game, they would not have had the first overall pick, which was OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson would not have met Nicole Brown Simpson or Nicole Brown at the time. They wouldn't have moved to LA and Robert Kardashian would not have been as high profiled and the world would have been saved from the Kardashians. So thank you, Buffalo, for that. Thank you. There's another reason to blame Buffalo. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes, the June 17, 1994, just so much going on, I think was probably the bet was a really good one. It was tough for me to put that number three. Well, I don't know. We had debated if we should include the OJ miniseries in this or not. And I think we said no and then not, but I'm glad you included it though. Cause yeah. OJ has made the entire world stop on its feet multiple times. So yes. From electrifying touchdown He's... runs to a slow speed chase on <laughs> in LA. <laughs> to, he is slightly polarizing. Yes. To what I believe was the first live televised court hearing. <laughs> as well yeah I'll go with that um, 
Sure. <laughs> so that was very well done. All right. And what is your what did you, what do you have for number two? Number three. Oh, your number three. Sorry. Yeah, it's my number three. I was gonna say. All right. So this one is not one of the more well-known ones. I just love the ridiculous nature of it. It's Big Shot, which is the story of a man that won falsified documents to buy late nineties, early two thousands. Oh no, sorry, late eighties, early nineties, and they didn't exactly have Google back then, and this guy falsified documents to the point where they announced him as a new owner of the Islanders. Oh, and they yes. were going to build him a stadium and they were going to do all this other stuff. And this is after the Islanders had had their run in the eighties where they were great late seventies, early eighties. And uh, yeah, I just, the sheer, uh, you could never pull that off nowadays, which is why I appreciate it so much. But, that one deserves such a good rewatch because every step along the way he could have gotten caught. And he even comments it like, I don't know how I didn't get caught. And then towards the end, it just all started. Yeah, he did. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Islanders are still bad though. So something's just never changed. Well, I mean, they, they had a, they had a surprise run this year. Um, Yeah. They made it to the conference finals for the first time since the early nineties. So there you go, which they're still doing better than the Rangers did. But anyway, um, better than the Red Wings. It's but, uh, a dark time to be a Detroit fan. So, but that's my number three is Big Shot, the story of a man that just wanted to own a sports team and didn't have any money to do it. And it was the perfect time of the world happening. And just, I missed that time and place in life where people were just kind of trusting. Sure, I'm a billionaire. I'll buy a sports team. Why not? Okay. And then they gave him like six, seven, eight months to try and come up with these documents. And the level of lying is almost impressive, if disgusting. Yeah. So, yeah, my number three is Big Shot, the Store of the Hunters. I know it's kind of a weird one. Um, it's probably going to be on nobody else's top five, top ten honorable mentions, but I don't care. I love that one. It's ridiculous. It's everything a 30 for 30 should be, in my opinion, sir. Wow. Yeah, no, that was uh that was a good one. Uh thank you. That was a that was a deep cut. Yeah. I think uh I think you also sort of cut out there, so missed a little bit of it. But uh what I mean, yeah, it was sort of that every fan's dream to own a own their favorite team and I think there's a few of us out there with our teams right now that wouldn't mind trying to pull a scam like that. <laughs> Um, to see if we can do a better job in current ownership. Yeah, I'm not praying on a Dallas Cowboys move anytime soon. Man, <laughs> I wouldn't be sad. <laughs> or the Knicks, or the Rangers. God, my life is sad. I'm a Detroit fan. I mean, all my teams are awful right now. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just agree to disagree on that yes. one. Yes. All right. What do you have for uh, your second one? Sorry, I had to sneeze again. All right. So my number two is the Trojan War. Oh. Yeah. Um, Because that one is still having relevance. So no, this isn't the story how I was conceived. hey It was the story of the USC Trojans. USC as in Southern Cal, not everybody that lives in South Carolina that thinks it's University of South Carolina. The real USC. (laughs) 
Southern Cal. Um, and it's the story of Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush and Lendale White. And some guy is currently coaching the Seahawks that likes to chew down Pete Carroll. And how they they don't get enough credit. I mean, they get a lot of credit. But that team was so good. Those teams, multiple teams, Carson Palmer, you know, they mentioned him in it. Um, and going into the Matt Liner area of USC and how that whole thing went down and how – did they ever prove Reggie – I guess they did prove it. They took away his Heisman. Well, he um, he returned it. I don't, I don't know. It's semantics on it. Anyway, he wasn't yes. allowed back on campus. And I think recently they just lifted that or something along those lines where there was change on that recently. Yeah, I'm not uh, 100% that, sure. That, that backfield was ridiculous. You know, that was thunder and lightning. Um, you didn't matter how you wanted to stop the ball. You couldn't. And then, God forbid, you decided to load the box. They were going to make you pay through the air. Yeah, they had great receivers. And the only one, for some reason, that's popping into my mind is Dwayne Jarrett. That's, um, I mean, that's a, that's a relevant name for the time, not relevant for his NFL career, but yeah. yeah. Drafted, drafted, <laughs> by, drafted by the Panthers. Oof, not such a good player. They uh, but yeah, man, I had the best luck drafting receivers. Not the recent batch isn't too bad. I mean, Robbie Anderson may have been signed in the offseason currently and already surpassed DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel on the roster, but well, yeah. let's not go there. Yes. Uh, but yeah, man, I love the Trojan War one. It's just. It's everything about L.A. It, it talks about the excessiveness of what it was like being a football player. Mr. 8-8 eight eight himself, Jeff Fisher, makes an appearance in that. <laughs> so, hey, Jeff Fisher, you're looking better than Mike McCarthy right now is when I can go to the Cowboys. Um, but, yeah, the Trojan War is my number two. It's just, yeah, it's everything I love. Again, it's, it, these last three are everything I love about 30s is these stories in sports where things are so ridiculous. Yes. And they still happen. Yes. No, I 100% agree with that. Um, very good 30 for 30. Yeah, they brought, and before they started, I mean, USC football, when Pete Carroll took over, brought him back to relevancy was, I mean, he brought celebrities onto the field and, like it drew like they drew practices. They drew crowds at practices, and they were. A, I mean, they were a fun team to watch. I, I mean, Michigan was better than two, and they had those Rose Bowl games that were. <laughs> Without that team, there would be no Petros Papadenkos. Yes, we can all thank the world for that. Yes. <laughs> all right. So, my number. Two, right, what's, what's your number two? My number two is Of Miracles and Men. Ooh, I just watched that movie today. This this one is based on The Miracle on Ice, which you don't have to be a sports fan to know that one. I mean, come on. That was the biggest moment in American sports history. It was... USA. USA. It was a bunch... It was a group of 20 to 22-year-old kids beating... Going against the odds, beating the best team in the world since 1960 and like Ivan Drago on skates basically yes that's what that was and it shows 
a whole different perspective of that team because it was it shows the Soviet side, how they grew into this hockey power, how their the godfather of Soviet hockey took elements of a sport they had in Russia at the time, or Soviet Union, whatever you want to call it back then, and the Canadian game and melded the two. And they came up with these crazy training regimens. Like they'd be in lakes, ice cold lakes, throwing rocks, like boulder sized rocks and or boulders, not boulder sized rocks, boulders into the lake, retrieve the boulder, walk out of the lake and toss it again. Like stuff like that. They were doing all these crazy training things and it developed into hockey and turn and introduce the world to a whole new style of the game that also introduced them to different players that back in the 70s and up until the 70s or when the soviets would challenge the nhl or the canadian teams everyone just knew the names bobby clark gordie howe like all those all those types of players but no one knew boris mikhailov vladislav tradiak no one knew those names until they came to Canada and shocked the Canadians. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh, these guys are good. (laughs) And it just brought, it opened your eyes. They had a defenseman of that team, the 1980 Soviet team, Slava Fetisov actually drive to Lake Placid um, in the arena and he's looking around and he's retelling the story to his daughter, sort of like, as you mentioned in your underrated Brian and the boss, like telling his daughter, like, Hey, this is where it happened. This is the locker room. This is where I sat and just all sorts of different views of it. And Boris Mikhailov is still salty 40 years later. (laughs) Understandably so. (laughs) I mean, they, that was a team that I'd expected to win and did that. I mean, they, they want, they knew they were going to win, but through uh, the U S team uh, coached by her, the late great herbs, Herb Brooks and a bunch of amateurs at the time, they didn't have the pro athletes that we have today in the Olympics through his version of, which was sort of one of the, the coach I relate to Herb Brooks right now is Bill Belichick in the sense Herb Brooks really brought in the style of I'm going to take the game you show us and use it against you. And by doing that, by conditioning the team, the U S was able to pull that upset. And it I'll, t- tell you, I'll tell you what I like about it is the fact that, I mean, I love the movie. I watched it earlier today. The movie is, the movie is great. Great. Kurt Russell, perfect casting. Um, but the problem with all movies is they tend to make things prettier than they really are. They tend to show you a struggle and really focus on how they overcame the odds, but they don't really dive into like the dirtiness of the struggle. And that 30 for 30 does that. And I, like you said, I love the Soviet perspective in it, dude. Yeah. I yeah. love how it showed that they were people too. Like, yes, they were... USSR was bad, but they were people too, and they just wanted to win a hockey game, and they were put on even. You know, we had nothing to lose, right? <laughs> we, 
And for them back in those times, you know, they were forced to play for the hockey team. And if they lost, they faced punishments. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I mean, they basically, I mean, one of the things they showed in that was, I mean, these kids, sort of what these academy teams do for soccer is they find kids like 10-year-olds and put them in these academy camps. And that's... Lab children. (laughs) Essentially, that's what they were back then and it was it really showed a whole new perspective of the miracle on ice and that's why i mean because i mean as americans we love that moment to unite the country and we only saw it from our side that it's, 30, and it's everything that it took to get to that point right and that 30 for 30 shows how the russian team developed how it started how it became the power that it was and really still is today um and it was well done that's a great call dude i I don't know why i didn't even put that on my list but yeah i love that one all right um number one all right so this is the part of the show where we we don't i think we actually agree on this one i think so unquestionably my number one i'm assuming yours is the Pony XS? Absolutely. I, oh I my really, god! I really loved the Pony XS thirty for thirty. Taking, and I actually just sort of watched it. Yes, I didn't watch it. I was working and just had it on in my headphones. But yeah, Southern Methodist University outside of Dallas. What? I mean, it's great university. I have a friend that went to their law school, um, but. It's located just north of Dallas and really in the late, really Dallas struggled with an identity. Um, early, everyone knows the Kennedy assassination happened. The Dallas Cowboys sort of brought them out of that funk with Staubach and Tom Landry bringing. Well, everybody to, thinks the Cowboys history starts with those guys and it doesn't. Right. They were a bad football team for yes. a long time. Yes, they were awful. And prior to that, SMU was the team in Dallas with going to the forties with Doak Walker, uh, one of the best college football running backs of all time. They have the Doak Walker award after him. Uh, So that sort of ties those two together and the Cowboys started to become America's team. And then SMU was struggling and they brought in, they they brought in Rick Meyer and, who was a coach for one of the Dallas teams coached at UNLV and brought in this swagger and charisma and started to hammer uh, the recruiting trail. Hammer by hammer. Do you mean bank accounts? Well, I want to get to that about the pony excess because the conference was, it wasn't a big 12 big eight or whatever. It was the Southwest athletic conference. It was basically all Texas teams, Oklahoma and Arkansas. And back when back when geographic location made an actual sense in conferences. Yes. And so <laughs> they all did it. No matter how bad the teams were. Like they were all throwing money at the table and I remember just because it was so fresh in my mind because I had it on my headphones yesterday was 
I can't remember the recruit's name, but somebody said, their a coach said, hey, it's going to be, we can give you 20000 And he looked at the coach and says, that's not even close. 20000 in 1981. Not even close. And a car. Yeah. And this was... And I think there was like a car. Yeah, no, cars were flying all over and... <laughs> So, and the pony success comes from the backfield that they had, that SMU had. And for the number one, OED. Yep, Eric Dickerson and Craig James, the top two running back recruits in Texas. And yeah, they said with a smile, it's the best team money could buy. They, uh, they had a car dealer on the SMU campus. And all they did was sign the names. Everything else was taken care of. Nobody asked questions. And SMU just kept getting, SMU got caught, put on probation. All right, whatever. Continued to cheat. That's where they went wrong. Caught, <laughs> <It is. laughs> caught again. And Meyer, Coach Meyer did the sort of did the whole thing that we know, we know today. If you think something's going on at a school as a fan and a coach leaves, the first thought that pops into your mind is NCAA is coming down to that school soon. I didn't mention it, but that's exactly what happened in the Trojan War one as well. Where Pete Carroll went, you know, <laughs> I'm well, going to coach of, in the NFL. Well, I mean, when, an, when a school is under investigation, you know it. I mean, the, we know it now with all the media. You know what's really great about that documentary is it reminds people that Skip Bayless was actually a journalist at one point <laughs> and actually a pretty good one and not just a loudmouth yeah. with stupid opinions. I think he was like, back then because I think there was an, I think, uh, I think he was back then too because I. Yeah, but you didn't have to hear his voice though. No, but Troy Aikman, I think, said to his agent, if I punch him, will I get in trouble? <laughs> So Skip Bayless, he, he he was a good journalist back in yeah, the day. Yeah, he, he's and, a very good journalist. And that that thing, and I also like how it portrays the fact that you know Dallas at the time was not a the huge city it is now, and there was two papers. You know, it was the Dallas Morning News and the Dallas. And what's the other one? Anyway, there's two newspapers in that town, and it's a very small thing. So now you've got journalists that are beating each other over the brains for stories in a college that's being run by the way the president was also the former governor of the, yes. of the state so yeah. just the level and depths of corruption man and and it just it was so if you thought of the worst possible thing that you could do in terms of college football this isn't it but man, if you want to talk about the most ridiculous thing, and I love the fact that Eric Dickerson never admits what he got. No, no one does. I mean, there's a day he said he'll send him back, but he'll take it to his grave. Yeah, no, I mean, nobody knows. I mean, the guys are getting paid 50000 and you know what? It was said in the documentary. I mean, all those schools cheated. All those schools were, I think there were, there were eight teams in the conference, and at one point, six of them were on probation at the same time. <laughs> so, it was, yeah, and it, it was literally the wild west out there 
That's hair. what I called it in the documentary. It was yeah. the Wild West. It was the Wild West, and because Dallas was the epicenter of a booming industry of oil and real estate, so all these rich alums were in Dallas competing, not only work-wise, but <laughs> your your Longhorns aren't going to beat my Mustangs or Aggies or Razorbacks, whatever. Yeah, the battles were taking place in the boardrooms. Yeah, so money flew, and great. At least, uh, at least what SMU did was the best team money could buy, as they said in the documentary, because they uh, they, they won. won. <laughs> they won. They won big time. Yes, you know, no, 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 nobody could beat those teams. If they no, were at full. They strength, were so good. They were so good. Yeah, like uh, and people don't understand how what Alabama is today, or really Clemson now, what Clemson and Alabama are in this era, that's what SMU was. People forget how good Craig James was and how he you're right, he was the number two running back in the country for a reason. Yes. And he would have been Heisman candidate anywhere he went, but man, they, they just had the best offer. <laughs> so that's where you went. Yeah, you have but, the uh, you have the best team, the best team money can buy, and that's what uh that's what it was, and that and it, Jordan, you touched on it. You said, think of the worst thing that could happen. That wasn't it. I remember you and I sitting on the couch when the Miami scandal broke, the Nevin Shapiro scandal. Oh God, how? And you're just. It was more of those things where you're like, all right, that's standard. That's a standard thing. Yeah. And then your jaw. Look no further. Your jaw with basketball now. Yes. You know, I, to this day, I mean, I know NCAA said they would never really, they would never give the death penalty again after SMU got it. How Miami did not get the death penalty for what they did. Probably because they saw what happened with SMU. And, you know, it's kind of like with baseball. We talked about steroids. At the end of the day, was the cheating horrible? Yes. But college football in late 90s, early 2000s, they needed Miami to really, I mean, no offense to Nebraska, but, mm. you know, in Florida, but they needed that Miami and that Florida State rivalry. Yes. And they needed both teams to be good. And, that's yeah, just the nature of the business, but yeah, I don't know how they didn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> stuff just kept coming out. SMU still has not recovered. I mean, they have good. They're they're at least producing NFL talent. Yes. You know, so they're putting out. They're at least getting some good players to go on to the NFL, but they're not a dominant powerhouse in football. And now that Texas and Oklahoma, and a and I mean, all of the Texas schools, other than, like, North Texas, have surpassed them. Um, you know, it's just – it's sad. I, I really wish they would be good again, but they're just never going to. Right. So yeah, – Absolutely. Rest, rest in peace, Pony Excess. That is unquestionably – Our favorite. Per, Our number per, one. Per, perfectly done. When we thought of this list, we I was birth beginning. We were going to grant number one because yes. – it was just no doubt in my mind. Yes. Right. So we do have a, we're not going to elaborate much uh, on our wish list, but I just have a few out there that I think should be done. And one is from 
again a few bias and a, a few bias here, but the Red Wings Avalanche rivalry of, from 1996 to 2002. Ooh, if you if you wanted to between the hate of those teams and teams that got past them in the playoffs, if you wanted to get to the cup, you had to beat Colorado or Detroit to get to the cup. Another one is, I'm sorry. I was going to say, there was a point in my life where as much as I hated the Red Wings, my unquestionably favorite hockey player was Stevie Y. Yes. Everything about that guy was classy. He was any football or hockey game you had during the time frame. He was the most dominant player of the Wayne Gretzky because he was just a goal scoring machine. Sorry. Another one is Michigan Ohio state rivalry. I'd love to see something like that. And a Duke UNC one. I think rivalries make great 30 for 30s because of the hatred that the teams have for each other, but there's also a level of respect. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. I actually almost thought about including the Duke scandal 30 for 30 on my list somewhere, but I didn't want to have to have that kind of a discussion. Right. Yeah, no, that was <laughs> oh. ooh, fantastic. Lies. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic lies is a great one, but yeah. That's a touchy subject. Yes. Um, so those are good, man. I love the rivalry thing. And I, that would be that they could do like a series of like 30 for 30 rivalries. Yes. You can call it. And they could go through college, pro sports, whatever. You know, the Roll Tide War Eagle. I would love to see one on that and see the lovely people down in Alabama fight it out. Yeah, they did do one of that and they had the Boston LA one too. So. Yep. Um, Let's go. So mine, I actually named my first one because it was just so perfect. It's called Enter Sandman, Mariano and the Cutter. Ooh. Uh, Yeah, right? Put that on a label and print it. Just got to get the rights of Metallica. Lars probably won't be difficult to deal with. No. Um, Yeah, man. And I know we mentioned it, so I'm not going to beat the dead horse. And there's bias on that too, but this is a guy that had one pitch. Yes, he threw other pitches. He had one pitch. Yes. And he dominated. He he made the closer role cool. Yeah. You know, I mean, no Former offense to. Yeah, yeah. No, no offense to anybody that came before him. Um, you know, no offense to Billy Wagner. I know we joke about it all the time between us. Who's the real interesting man? Billy <laughs> Wagner. I just do it. I just say Billy Wagner for fun. Yeah, I know. Just a good me. But uh, yeah, Mariano made being a closer cool. Yes. And. He did it with one punch. And you want to talk about class. There's never been – I mean, him and Jeter, unquestionably, were the two classic players of those Yankees. But I would even put Mariano ahead of Jeter in terms of class in this because Jeter was still a a four-anderer back in those days. Um, Mariano was just class. And even to this day, if you hear him speak, he's still really soft-spoken. But, man, every word he said, I hang on. No, I I agree, and I remember – the entrance to the his final all-star game and then as a I mean just from respect and it sort of gets me like emotionally too is when Andy Pettit and Derek Jeter pull him. Like they're the ones that came out and pulled him after like for the final time. For sure. Yeah that and I'm he, getting uh, chills thinking about it. And he sees them and sort of smiles and then when he takes the ball he breaks down. And that's when I sort of like I, 
Onions, onions. <laughs> so then my other one, I don't know if they did that one on this guy or not. I looked, I didn't see anything, but one of the most interesting people in sports, one of the most raw, naturally talented, gifted people that was never going to be great. Man, I love John Daly. There is one on that. Is there one on him? Yeah. Good. They need to do like a movie. Well, I, recommend, I, me- I recommend watching that one. The John Daly one was really good. Good, good. I didn't know if there was or not, yes. and I just... He, uh, he was on an episode of something watching today, and I was like, man, that guy is ridiculous in terms of everything he does. From He really is the Babe Ruth of golf. Um, yeah, so much so much talent, had had some issues, and the, Tiger Woods tells a story where he's at, he's at the bar and walks by John Daly, and he's like, John stops him and goes, Tiger, how about join us for a drink? He's like, no, I gotta hit the weight room. He's like, come on. It's like, and then he looks at John Daly and says, "Look, if I had your if I had your ability, I'd be at the bar too." And this is Tiger Woods, arguably the is the greatest golfer of all time. Said that about John Daly. So yeah, John Daly, great thirty for thirty. Check it out. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to. That's that's yeah. on my list for tonight. I'll have to look at that one. Yeah. All right, so we do have a very special one. Uh, we wanted to include this because of the impact it had on a sport, on a generation. It's called the 99ers. This is about the 1999 U.S. Women's National Team for Soccer. Mia Hamm, Michelle Akers, Brianna Scurry, Christine Lilly, Brandy Chastain, guys, We'll probably remember that name most of all. Um, Hi, Randy. <laughs> How you doing? Um, but uh, the U.S. women's soccer program has been really great. I mean, there's been eight World Cups. They have four titles, five finals, and three third-place finishes. They've never finished worse than third in any World Cup since 1991. But that 99 team, it was in – 99 World Cup was in, was in the U.S., the final was held at the Rose Bowl. There was over 100,000 people at the Rose Bowl to watch that game between U.S. and China. Women's soccer, ladies and gentlemen. Women's soccer. Not NFL, not NBA, not a boxing match. Yes. UFC, Mm -hmm. women's soccer. Yes. And I was, I mean, we were 11 at the time, and but we didn't really understand the impact. I mean, it was just awesome. Hey, U.S. women's soccer, they're, it's our country. They're playing for gold. They're going to try to win the World Cup on U.S. soil. And it almost didn't happen. There's a play I remembered so vividly before that. It was in the extra time, which I hate soccer extra time. I think it needs to be sudden death. Stupid rule. But, Stupid rule. But there's the extra time rules. But it came off a corner, China kicks it from the corner, and it's headed. It's going in. Christine Lilly, def- U.S. defender, is on the line. Brianna Scurry is on the complete opposite side. No way she gets it. Christine Lilly heads it away from the goal, and they clear it out. That moment stands out to me, I think, more than Brandy Chastain's penalty kick winner. Because without that, we don't have the 99ers the U.S. loses to China on home soil without that play. 
That's crazy. And that's what leads to the impact of that team. Those those soccer players for the U.S. at the time inspired a generation of young of young girls to play the game, to be role models and great citizens. And we have those with Abby Wambach, Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, my favorite. Mine too. Mine too. Hope Solo, who, despite her personal things, great soccer, great goalie. Man, she's amazing. But was unbelievable. And it brought up that generation that we know um, that started in the 2011 World Cup. Well, and this is to me the most telling part. You named the like, entire starting roster for that team from 1999. <laughs> I would challenge you to name a male soccer player from the U.S., not name Landon Donovan, Tim Howard, or Clint Dempsey. Or or Bill ba- or Bob Bradley's son. Alexi Lawless. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 The, the, the Ginger Ninja. Okay. I'll, I'll give you that one. Um, but that's the point, though, is that was one team. You, we just named great players. But that was one team. And they were, yeah. Uh, Mia Hamm is, she really is the MJ, I think, of her sport. Yes. Um, well, they did. Um, they did a. I don't know if you remember it. I think they did a Gatorade commercial together. I think so too. Yeah. Well, they were on like, Wheaties boxes. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, anything you can do, I can do better. And it was. Yeah, yeah. MJ and Mia Hamm. Yeah, Mia Hamm. Yeah, not a baseball player, not a football player. It was the greatest, arguably, the greatest athlete, single athlete ever, Michael Jordan. And he wasn't going back and forth with a football player or a baseball player or a hockey player or a golfer. It was Mia Hamm. Yep. And, and that's the impact that that team had on American sports it, and women's So sports. I know when we were, do, we were doing pre-show and I mentioned it semi-controversially, but I almost wish it had a longer impact because I know they did the women's league and it just... It's still, it's still there. I mean, the, yeah. I think we're seeing the later effects of it, but the immediate impact I think was women's sports in general that that had because yet the WNBA was still relatively new. And aside from the WNBA and the U S women's soccer team, there really wasn't much going on for women's sports and women's college basketball. It was dominant with Tennessee and, but yeah, I mean, I'll I don't know, man. I, my my problem with the current team is they're just not very likable. I'm not putting any politics in it. I just, I don't like. They were so marketable back in the 1990s. Like, they were awesome players. All of them were, and they were just classy and just they did it. They they seem like they could do no wrong. Yes. And the girls now, not the girls, the women nowadays, the women's soccer team. You know, you've got Hope Solo, which whatever she is off the court, she's just not a likable person off the – and I know I've mentioned it in other episodes about other stuff, but I just can't help – you know, when you want to talk about societally and people's views on stuff or why things are the way they are, 
that's such a big factor. And I think what happened with the 1999 team is they couldn't they couldn't play forever. Right. And that transition from the 1999 team to the next generation, even though they were still dominant, they weren't the big figures. It took a little while to right. rebuild the stars. Yeah, 90 yeah, I mean they didn't like, like the a, NBA took, seems to have this knack took a little for like bit. going from like it took a little bit for the US women's team to get back into the World Cup. I mean, they like I said, they'd never finished worse than third. So third which place. Is awesome. Yeah. Which third place is not to be in their best in the world is nothing to be ashamed of. But as I touched on US soccer, sort of US women's soccer sort of like the USSR hockey team. We expect we expect to win. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's they, that's what it is. We expect to win. That's our Olympic men's basketball team. And that too. Yeah. Um, like we're just gonna we sort of have those. We sort of have those. We were the best type deals. And the nine but it did start a little bit it started before that in the early nineties, but it peaked it with the ninety niners with that team. The, On... the impact that it had, we you can go on for days about the impact it had on an entire generation of young female athletes. Because there wasn't that before that. And that's the thing that you hit on that's so amazing, Eric, is it's very easy as a Caucasian male to have people I look up to and say, wow, I could be like that person as a kid. I could be like that person. But when you're a young little girl, you don't have that female athlete. Yeah, we want We had the... I want to be like Mike. I want to. I want to be Barry Sanders. I want to be Ken Griffey Jr. I want to be one well, p- people that look like you. All right. You know, it's like it's like the reason why Black Panther was such a popular movie wasn't necessarily because it was the best movie. It's because there was a superhero that represented a an entire group community. of people. Yes, exactly. A community an entire people. minority, and it deserved every bit of recognition. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Oh my yes. God. Um, but. That, that representation, which I think is nowadays probably the hottest and most controversial topic that people always miss is people aren't necessarily fighting to be better or even fully equal. They just want representation at the table. Right. And, and that's what um, that 99 team did. All yeah. of a sudden, all of a sudden it was girls our age and high school girls going like, I can beat Mia Ham. Yeah. I can be Michelle. I can Andrews. be Julie. Fa- I can be Julie Foudy. Thank you. I forgot her. I don't know how I missed that. Thank you for that one. I was wondering if you would have mentioned her. Or not, but <laughs> she's still on ESPN as a commentator. Yeah, like, like she calls the be, World Cup games. Yeah, you can be. You can be those. I mean, outside of individual sports, at the time, I mean, like I said, the WNBA was fairly young and it didn't have the cultural impact for young female athletes at this. 99 team had and definitely I, that's definitely. why i wanted to end it with that note with the 99ers for sure for sure man yeah that was a uh, that was a fun discussion um, it was i love the fact that we didn't have any duplicates hardly except for on our list so that was yeah that was pretty cool yeah well thank you for listening i know this is a long uh, podcast but uh like and subscribe and uh we'll uh we'll talk to you next week Bye bye